Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On July 18th, 12 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holyhound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was emergency. We heard stories about injuries and other medical emergencies, being trapped, overreacting, and even a couple of fires. Michelle Macera won with her story about a mystery involving an intruder paying visits to her college apartment. I hate the smell of cigarettes. So it was surprising one morning when I woke up and my living room smelled like cigarette smoke. I was a student in college at the time and I lived in a rundown house with my brother and another guy named Jamie. None of us were smokers. None of us had friends over that were smoking. So we're like, what happened? Did someone break into our house and smoke a cigarette last night? A few days later, I wake up for classes. I walk out my bedroom door and there was a hallway that all of our bedrooms branched off of. And I looked on the carpet, and there was a large candle and an unused cigarette. And so I did what all normal people do when they see cigarettes. I screamed for my life. And my brother came out of his room, and he didn't know where this stuff came from. So I immediately ran into Jamie's room and woke him up. He was not happy to be disturbed. But I told him, you need to get up. This is an emergency. The smoker came back. And this time, it's really creepy because this intruder had a candlelight vigil outside all of our bedrooms. So Jamie just wanted to go back to sleep. But my brother and I continued to loiter in Jamie's room, trying to figure out who this smoker could be. And there was one name at the top of our suspect list, Craig. Craig was this hippie guy who lived in our attic. <laughs> Craig had recently moved out because Craig's girlfriend had something going on with Jamie. So this did not end well. Craig was a smoker and Craig would have known that the back door to our house did not latch shut. I was actually relieved thinking that our intruder was Craig because Craig was my friend. And my brother reassured me, Craig would never hurt us. The only person Craig would kill is Jamie. <laughs> At that point, Jamie woke up and Jamie said, you know, Michelle, since you are so scared, I'm gonna go board up that back door now. And I said, okay, that's a great idea. In the meantime, I'm going to the police and I'm filing a report. So I walked into the police department and I met with the policeman in this little conference room and he wrote down my report and I told him, I have an emergency. There's a smoker in my house. And it could be the kind of smoker that kills people. 
So the policeman told me they were putting my address on the patrol monitor. And that meant every set number of hours, the police car would drive by my house. And if they saw anyone lurking with a cigarette, they were going to take them down. So that felt better. And then the policeman reassured me. And he said, you know, I don't think you're in any danger. My hunch is one of your roommates is playing a prank on you. And I said, no, that can't be possible because they're both scared. And they both knew I was coming to the police. And there's no way they would take a prank that far. And the policeman said, OK, then. The only other possibility is that a homeless person has found a warm place to sleep on a cold winter night. And in that case, you're not in any danger either. Because if this person wanted to kill you, you would be dead now. <laughs> and that was actually reassuring and disturbing simultaneously. Eventually, the truth was revealed. And one of our suspects was the cigarette perp. Was it crazy addict Craig? Was it one of my roommates? Or was it a homeless person? It was my brother. <laughs> he went to a fraternity and someone gave him a cigar. So he came home to experiment in the living room. And he thought it was funny how I overreacted to the smell the next day. So he bought a whole pack of cigarettes intending to do a series of cigarette pranks. But after the first prank resulted in Jamie buying wood to board up our back door, and me getting our house listed on patrol monitor, <laughs> that put an end to the great cigarette emergency of 1996. Michelle earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Phil Broder. Phil shared a story about a night he spent enduring intense pain. So a good emergency doesn't really require a lot of conversation. Sometimes the, the less you say, the better. And I'm going to deconstruct this emergency into the five things that I said. This was a couple years ago. It was Labor Day Monday. I know this because it was the day that our hometown kids from Redland Little League played in the Little League World Series Finals. And we live in Lewisbury, so they're literally our hometown kids. And we watched the game. And we were sitting around in the evening. My then-girlfriend, now-fiance, and I were sitting in the living room watching TV. And around 10 o'clock, I just had a little discomfort in my side. So I went to the bathroom, because I have this deeply held philosophy that there's very little in life that you can't fix with a pint of Ben and & Jerry's and a good shit. <laughs> and I was sitting there like Elvis on the throne when I suddenly projectile vomited into the sink. So the first thing I said was, Carly, get dressed. Now conveniently, five days beforehand, she had bought a new car. Carly, give everyone a wave so they know who you are back there. So she had this brand new shiny black SUV 
that I'm about to get into with, you know, puke running down my face. So I grabbed a bucket off the front porch on the way into the car, and I'm sitting in the back seat, hurling into this bucket as she is driving to the hospital. And we're cruising along, and we get to the on-ramp for the interstate, and my lovely but perhaps overly cautious girlfriend stops at the red light. It's 10.30 at night on a holiday. There is no traffic anywhere in sight. Cannot see another car, and she's waiting for the light to turn green. Which is when I said the second thing, just go! She ran the red light, maybe the only one she's ever run in her life. We get on the interstate, we zoom up to Harrisburg, we pull into the hospital, and, and along the way, as all this is, is happening, as we're zooming up the road, is when I started saying the third thing, something that I would repeat often throughout the next several hours, which was, ah! as I was having stabbing pain in my back. So we're driving up the road, ah! We get to the hospital, pull up to the emergency entrance. I fall out the door of the car. She gets an arm over her shoulders and is kind of dragging me into the emergency room. We left the chunder bucket there on the curb. We are walking into the ER and there's a reception desk with, with two people standing there watching us as she's dragging me up the aisle and I'm, you know, screaming, ah! And we made it to that reception desk and they, I, said, I think so they were standing there. They were sitting there. They're just watching us. And I think at that point her grip on me slipped. I collapsed onto the floor. And I remember looking up from the floor at these two people sitting at the hospital reception desk. And I said the fourth thing, which was, feel free to help. <laughs> because in an emergency, your sense of sarcasm should not waver at all. And they got me into a wheelchair and back into a, an exam room and doctors came in, looked at me, put an IV in me, and that's a whole other story because me and needles have a relationship that's dicey at best. And the doctor comes in and says, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna start giving you pain medication. And I said, ah! And I spent about the next hour thrashing on that exam table, continually going, ah! No effect on the pain meds. The doctor finally comes back in, says, oh, why don't I give you some more pain meds? Ah! Seemed like a good idea. Put some more pain meds into the IV. Somewhere along the line, I think they did diagnose that I probably had kidney stones. Uh, for you guys who've had them, you know where I am. For you women who've had children, you know where I am. It's a similar kind of pain. And after, no. <laughs> yes. As, as Robin Williams said, for men, unless you're opening an umbrella up your ass, you're not sharing in the birth experience. <laughs> I'll give you that. So, now the train of thought, gone. Um, after another hour, that pain meds were still not working. And, and the doctor came back in and said, oh, they're still not working. Which is when I mustered up the strength for the fifth thought of the night, which was, no! Ah! And he gave me some more pain meds and those actually worked. I think it was Advil did the trick. But finally at about 5 a.m., the kidney stone passed. Ah! 
You don't have to say a lot during an emergency. Speak softly and carry a puke bucket. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Lauren Hills, who told us about the cast of characters that lived in her Minneapolis apartment building. All right, so if any of you have been to Minneapolis, you'll hopefully have thought of the city as a completely magical place. Where I lived in uh, Minneapolis, we had all kinds of bike routes and running routes, and the Mississippi River was right there, and everything was green and beautiful, and yes, there was a lot of snow in the winter, but it was had all kinds of lakes. Everything about Minneapolis, I think of it as being magical. Um, when we were apartment hunting, though, we wanted to be close to campus, and we found this magical neighborhood close to campus, so it was a all around a great win. And I had a roommate from upstate New York, Fiona, and we got along, everything was good. Um, we had some misfit neighbors in this condo building though, um, which is important to the story because the floor below us, there was a man who, um, his car was in the garage, but he um, wasn't able to drive because he'd had so many DUIs. He had groceries delivered to his house, so he was always there. We, he liked to be called Bear. He had his nipples pierced, and he always had loud music playing, usually 80s rock music. So Bear was the floor below us. Um, the floor below him, there were some guys that always had um, their bongs, and that was their thing, and they they were um, always um, partying till whatever hour. Um, we had another woman who was extremely meticulous, and she would go out and cut the grass with scissors. So she was extremely, extremely OCD to no end. Um, and then there was this other man who I rented his garage because my apartment unit didn't have a garage space for us, and um, his name's Peter. Um, Peter was a social recluse who um, wasn't able to come to the door, so I had to slide my rent check under the door for him, and um, if I did get him at the door, I'd get like a little bit of an eyeball, and that was it. So that was the interaction with Peter. Um, so anyway, long story short, all these, all these individuals are cohabitating in this three-story condo building, and um, one afternoon, it's close to finals, I'm stressed out, I'm with my boyfriend, and I've self-diagnosed myself on WebMD. I'm convinced that I have this major health issue, he's talking me off the ledge, I feel it's a huge emergency. Really, it's a combination of the stress and the lack of sleep, and I'm really totally fine. And um, at that moment, though, sirens start, and they're just wailing, and we hear them coming, and we, they, we realize that they are at our condo building, and um, there's smoke and there's people running up the steps and we end up having people um, knocking on our door so we're running out there's soot all over the steps as we run out so this feels like a much bigger emergency than my previous health self-diagnosed issue that I was convinced I was going to um, suffer from forever so um, we're outside and we're trying to figure out like okay now there's eight fire trucks and several police cars in this tiny little quaint neighborhood in um, Minneapolis uh, what's this emergency about? Why are they here? And um, we find out that that poor man, Peter, who um, only came to the door so you could see like one eyeball, if anything, that he's a complete pack rat hoarder to the extreme. And um, he smokes a pipe. So um, all of a sudden, this couch with all these papers and books and junk for lack of a better term, comes over his second floor balcony onto the floor, everything's flying up, um, it's ruined, but it was probably ruined a long time ago because of his you know, personal tendencies. So um, 
He's in complete shock, and you can just see the devastation on his face because everything about this is his emergency, and he's the one causing this scene when he doesn't even want to be out in the light of day. So you recognize his panic and his emergency in this, and then you see the woman um, to our left sitting kind of close to the gate, and she's the woman with the scissors, and she is just beyond collapsed and sitting on the grass because her poor, perfectly manicured lawn now has this horrible, huge, basically like dust, dirt hole in it with this couch that's got smoke and gunk all over it. So the lawn did not look the same for a while. The apartment building was fine. We were able to go back upstairs and our apartments were all fine. There was no smoke damage. But you just realize that it goes from my health emergency, which was nothing, to an actual emergency with firefighters, to then the poor man who has to be out in public who doesn't want to be around any people, realizing all of his stuff is burned to a pulp, and then the poor woman who doesn't have a perfect lawn anymore. So emergencies are relative. <laughs> All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete in our Grand Slam in November for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, at York Story Slam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from Our York Media. They're all about thoughtful storytelling, so we couldn't imagine a better partner. Visit their website at ouryorkmedia.com for stories about some of our neighbors. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.